Daddy Squared. Gay Dad Saved the World. A daily dose of gay dads on the front lines of the global pandemic. With Alex McGann and Jan Dick. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, Gay Dads Save the World. Alex, you know, we talk about every day we ask people what are their silver linings uh, in all of these uh, pandemics. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about our silver linings. Okay. For a little bit. Well, you start. So, first of all, I think that for me, at least, the biggest one is that I'm used to be slave to the fear of missing out. Yeah. What is called the FOMO. Now it's the JOMO, the joy of missing out. Oh, Jesus. Experiencing the, the life without this fear of, you know, constantly they're doing this and look at what they're doing and, and let's go out. And, you you know, really so think you're not no, doing that anymore, huh? Yeah, do I do that? Mm. It's less because, you know, there's nothing to do there. Outside. Yeah, but there are still feeds that you look at, those feeds. Well, that's something else. That's uh, insecurities. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's one. So <clears throat> I get to to experience what it's like and to practice life without the f- without this fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I uh, I feel that I've I, I've asked a lot of questions about myself and about our relationship and about my parenting. So, and I think it's uh, I'll come out of this with some insights. And the last one is that you know that um, one of the things that I struggle with the most and I have been struggling for years. Is, uh, it's social interactions. And now that I have social distancing, it's kind of my comfort zone. But at the, at the same time, I feels like, it feels like, no, I don't think, I think that I should overcome this. I, think, I feel that I want to have more people in my life, more friends, more, right. you know, to go out places, not to be stuck at home all the time mm-hmm. um, like I used to. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for me going out to the world. I buy it. I buy it. I think that's the best thing that happened to me that I'm actually realizing how how much I do need company and how much I do need friends and people and so all of you all just contact me <laughs> hello at daddysqr.com let's be friends um, i I agree um, because I know you and I think that it's true i will I will say that mine I, there's no doubt that I have um, the same feelings that a lot of our guests have had and that you have about the value of um, the the close time that we have with our family that we might otherwise not see or experience but but I have I have two other ones that are I, you know they're let's say additional this is a crisis and it will always be known and remembered as a crisis. But it will also be something that my children and you and I remember way back when, when they were four years old, as that period of time when we were together in the house and it was a crisis. And as horrible as crises are, there is something beautiful to the kind of sharing that we will have of this memory together. Um, and I'm excited that we have that, that we will always have uh, as we all age. The second one is is kind of political, kind of sociological, but here's the thing, and I, I could absolutely be wrong, but I have a feeling that this um, 
this experience has taught Americans anyway so much about what it means to have a social safety net. You know, <laughs> for the longest time, it was kind of easy to say, well, you know, the, the, those homeless people and those poor people, whatever, they're suffering, but, you know, the rest of us are okay, and so we don't need to spend as much money on big government things, etc. And you look at this and you say, oh my God, we didn't have enough tests. Oh my God, we weren't organized enough. Oh my God, all of this kind of thing. And I hope that what will happen after all of this is that people will have a much greater tolerance for the idea that we have to spend money together to be prepared so that we can take care of each other in times like these. So I really believe that that will have an impact. I hope it has an impact in November. And, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, and the winner of this um, period of time is Zoom. <laughs> yeah, Zoom killed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, today we're calling Oregon. We're calling a social worker named David Sant. He's still doing what he has to do, what social workers have to do despite a pandemic uh, to take par- care of people's problems. I mean, they have problems that, that predate a pandemic and they don't go away just because COVID's around. Right. Okay, let's call him. Hello. Hi. Hi, David. It's Jan. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm hey, good. Hey, Alex David. It's Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi. David, can you please uh, start by telling us what do you do for work and how has it changed during the pandemic? Sure. So I work for a large... academic center here in the Portland Metro. Um, and my team specifically works with people who are insecurely housed, homeless, have chronic complex medical and mental health and substance use and you know all the things. And we work to on one hand help reduce their utilization of the hospital system and on the other hand, um, and more importantly, help connect them to the services that, they feel are missing in their lives. So we often are connecting them through the use of, of clinical interventions. We meet folks wherever they are. Um, that could be in shelters, um, on the street, in their homes, at appointments, um, quite literally wherever they are. And, and that was the, the, all of what you just described was the case before the pandemic in terms of that. That's approach. correct. That's correct. And, um, you know, we, really focused a lot on systems barriers for folks. Um, so life was already pretty rough um, for people who are insecurely housed or are homeless. When COVID came around, the response to COVID that became very, very um, difficult for both my team and for the people we serve. Certainly, there was a fear of uh, vulnerable people uh, who are already vulnerable getting sick. So that was concern number one, um, and making sure that you know they didn't die outside. Part B of that is the fears that providers had of getting sick. And so people uh, lost access to shelter because all the shelters started to implement the six foot minimum rule, which you know was great, but also meant that they had to, create more shelters um, just for the people who are already in shelter right look there's a, a tremendous value to the lockdown and the approach that we're taking to try to re- you know what, what they say flatten the curve and you know absolutely and all that. 
Yet, on the other hand, one does need to measure all of the different forms of suffering and death that mm-hmm. exist in the world, and you can't just say, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta protect ourselves against COVID at the expense <laughs> of everything else in society." And so, I'll ask you for the population of people that you have worked with and and mm-hmm. take care of. Um, you know, so so what? What's happened to them as a result of of the policies, as opposed to as a sure. as uh, the the um, the virus itself. So, for many, for uh, I would say all of us, um, it's like life just sort of went on pause, right, for a little while, and we're sort of grappling with this idea that um, you know, are we going to reopen? What's life going to be like afterwards? But it's been very focused on COVID. The truth is, life didn't just stop when right. COVID hit, and all the things that people were experiencing before COVID continued to happen. Um, everything from child abuse, uh, domestic violence, homelessness, um, uh, chronic disease, um, all of you know the things that, all the suffering that people experience, but now is more amplified. Um, and, you know, as um, housed folks, we experience the same things, you know, like life doesn't just stop because, um, uh, because of COVID, you know, we've got families and loved ones and we've got our own anxieties and, and, um, you know, how we're coping with those anxieties. Um, houseless folks are, are experiencing the same. So I think what these are, these policies have created, uh, they were, they were, they were made for people who aren't living in the margins. Um, and then, Providers who serve people who are living in the margins had to sort of adapt um, to that. Um, And unfortunately, um, that has meant that people who are sleeping outside um, or are insecurely housed are even more at risk because uh, they're no longer the primary concern because everyone's talking about COVID. No one's going downtown. Um, No one is, it's not as uh, an upfront issue um, as it had been prior to COVID. We, of course, can only imagine and probably can't imagine particularly well either. Um, you know, and because we don't have a long history of doing uh, interviews, I'm going to ham handedly switch subjects. I don't <laughs> no know what worries. you're <laughs> no so, so, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you have at home? What's uh, sure. who's the family? Uh, my husband uh, and I, who just we just celebrated 14 years oh. yesterday. Oh, congratulations. congratulations! That's wonderful. Yeah, um, we have a, a very busy four-year-old um, <laughs> who is the ultimate boy. Um, we just got done having a water fight, and he he just wants to wrestle and tear through the house and right. go on eight-mile bike rides, and then finally crashes at the end of the day. Have you at um, least attempted to introduce him to Cher and Madonna? Or? <laughs> what's What's funny about that is uh, my husband will do um, the Jack McFarland Cher uh, voice, <laughs> and he will copy that. Um, oh, all right. So, just, so he'll be hysterical. okay. All right. All right. That's good. Tell me a little bit about, so, so what does your husband do? Is he out of the house during the day or is he working from home? He, it's sort of a, a mixture. He works in process improvement at another healthcare system okay. um, in the Portland Metro. Um, and so he is 
both in and out of the office. Luckily, uh, the, the school that my kiddo goes to for daycare um, was able to remain open um, because of the number of, pe- of healthcare providers oh. uh, that have kiddos there. Interesting. Um, so, he, so he's going to school during, during the weekdays? Yes. Okay. And thank, I mean, I love my son and also, good Lord, I can't even imagine um, <laughs> having to well, to entertain him all day. You don't need um, to imagine. Come to our house. We have twin four-year-olds. Uh, oh, no yeah. school. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you, uh, <laughs> it's uh, nothing. It's so easy. I only cry three or four times a day. Um, oh, only. <laughs> can, you, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, a, a lot of things are horrible right now, but there have to be some, some positive experiences that you've been taking from this? So uh, both professionally and personally, um, it has been wonderful to have a break. I'm also getting a second master's degree right now. And mm-hmm. so I feel like I was just running constantly um and it's been nice to to sort of pause and evaluate what's going on in my life and um i get to spend more time with my kiddo which has been really great um i get to watch tv which never (laughs) was an option really before um i guess professionally is we've had some pretty wonderful uh successes um even amidst all of this and um, it just reminds me of how resilient we all are, and um, no matter how bad things may get, we can still acknowledge these moments of um, success. And so I'm just uh, I'm grateful that I get to yeah spend time with my kiddo and just veg on the couch and eat terribly and uh, decide to exercise at noon and, you know, all the things that have come along with this. Now, Let's talk eat terribly. Yes. Now, David, we need to switch gears to the yeah. most important part of our interview, which is also the last part. This sure. is this is the confessional portion where, <laughs> where we do, in fact, want you to describe to us uh-huh. the very worst and most disgusting thing that you have eaten over the course of the last several weeks. Oh, uh, one thing. Well, um, <laughs> pick, pick one that will, you know, really resonate for people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was craving cake, and I made um, uh, uh, chocolate cake with peanut butter uh, buttercream, and I ate almost the whole thing <laughs> by myself. Yes, excellent. Um, I also secretly... Uh, not so secretly. Not anymore. It's not um, secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, eat ice cream after my kiddo goes to bed. I like hover in the kitchen by myself and just eat ice cream. Right. In solitude. Yes. So uh, I, I love really that. Comforting. <laughs> I suspect, by the way, that if you were to drive up and down the streets of many, many neighborhoods in America uh, after like 9 p.m., you'd see a mm-hmm. lot of people standing in their like kitchen windows with a bucket of ice cream in their hands. Yep. It's, it's happening a yep. lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in solidarity with everyone. That's <laughs> right. exactly what is happening. David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And of course, of course. thank you so thank much you for, for what, what you're do. doing. Yeah. Of course. It's been a pleasure. You guys have a great one. You too. You Bye-bye. Too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Claire.